Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and the MCHD clinical crew just returned from an actual in-person EMS meeting. Crazy. Bunch of people in the room interacting, socializing, learning from each other. We almost forgot that that could exist after the uh, misery that's been the last 18 months of the pandemic and COVID-19. But the crew went to Eagles 2021, which is always one of the more uh, anticipated educational offerings, you know, from an EMS standpoint, both nationally and internationally. And one of the most interesting talks that we all heard was from friend of the podcast, EMS research superstar, uh, research scientist at ESO, Dr. Rimley Crow. And today we're lucky enough to have Rimley on to talk to us about her presentation or one of her presentation at Eagles. And really it's a concept that one of those, when, when I first heard it, I thought, now that is absolutely obvious. No one thought of it, and this is most excellent. So let's dive right in, Rimley, and describe describe your stroke scale to the listeners. And I'm going to try to avoid speaking Spanish in this podcast because I struggle to speak English, and I don't want to embarrass myself. So I'm going to let Rimley take it away. Oh, I, I think we'll have you saying some Spanish words before the end of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so the short answer is... The Aorta stroke scale is just the BFAST translated into Spanish. Um, And we can go through each element. So the A is andar, which means to walk. And that is where we're capturing balance or gait issues. And then the H is hablar, which captures speech or comprehension. Um, O is ojos, which changes in vision, new onset blindness. R, rostro, so that gets your facial droop, which is face. And then the last A is ambos brazos, which is the ability to raise both arms or both legs. And so you can see each of the elements of the BFAST is captured, even though they might just be in a little bit of a different order. And importantly, each letter stands for what it means. So same concept as the BFAST, which makes it easy to remember. Just, it just seems like it should have been just painfully obvious to everyone. Those are always the best ideas and just easily applicable and, um, you know, translatable from English to Spanish. Yeah. And and it was really a surprise to me because I went to EMT school in Mexico city. So I did all of my EMT training in Mexico and we didn't really have a mnemonic when I was going through school to help us remember the stroke symptoms. So no be fast, no fast, no, no Spanish based race or van or any of the, uh, acronym based uh, stroke scales. Right. None of the acronym based ones. No. Yeah. It was just a, you had to memorize the list of symptoms, which is a huge hole in our, you know, diagnostic uh, armamentarium, and you filled it quite nicely. So taking a step back, I mean, for, for the listeners out there, basically, Rimley took the, the BFAST and, and converted it to uh, a Spanish-based uh, stroke scale. But what makes an ideal stroke scale or tool? And, you know, what's the end goal of the BFAST anyways, or a stroke scale, a similar stroke scale like yours? Right. And it it seems like there's a new stroke scale out every other week, doesn't it? (laughs) So there's a great paper out there by Keenan and it talks about what are the ideal components of a stroke scale. And so this is one of those things where less is more sometimes. Uh, ideal stroke scale is something where the letters stand for each of the symptoms so that you can have ready recall and also that doesn't involve complex scoring. So 
for example, the race scale, that one involves complex scoring to get you from zero to nine. Whereas something like the fast or the be fast, it's just yes or no. And if there are a certain number of symptoms, depending on, you know, your system sensitivity or specificity for sending the patient to a stroke center, you can just say, count the number of symptoms that were positive. Uh, and we recently did a comparative study using the ESO data collaborative, which is, you know, about 2000 EMS agencies. And we compared head to head a bunch of the widely used stroke scales. And we looked at how they perform, not only for detecting any type of stroke, but we looked at how they perform for detecting large vessel occlusion. So we know in recent years, there's been this increased emphasis on detecting more severe forms of stroke to get those patients to the appropriate centers. And we found that actually the Cincinnati or the FAST base arm speech performs as well or better than the race lambs or van. And so when you're talking about implementing a stroke scale or all of the training and all of the costs involved in that, something to consider for sure. And I would be remiss if I didn't plug our own work here at MCHD. And this is now several years old, but we were on the race train uh, for some time, and we looked at pre-hospital acquisition of race and how well it predicted stroke here in Montgomery County. And realistically, when, you know, and I'm not uh, obviously nearly as literature up to date as you are, but, you know, my very basic look at this literature is that race, van, lambs, Cincinnati, you're all in that in that 75% sensitivity specificity range uh, for identification. And the point is to try to pick out the elbows as early as we can to preferentially and rapidly transport those folks to uh, thrombectomy-capable comprehensive stroke centers for endovascular retrieval and therapy. If that doesn't exist for native Spanish-speaking folks, then there's going to be a hole there from a community outreach standpoint. Because realistically, some of these scales, and as we get more complex, you know, it's, it's one thing for me to use the NIH stroke scale when the patient arrives to the emergency department, but honestly, I've got a link or an app on my phone, a link in Epic or in Cerner or whatever EMR I'm using to pull up the NIH stroke scale and go through the list because it's, like you said, woefully complicated, you know, multiple choices, multiple numeric scales, and it's not something that you can teach to the community. The community can't learn the NIH stroke scale is too complicated. I can't learn it. I have to use a reference. So when you go back to something like BFAST or Aora, that's something that's yes or no. The, the words represent the symptoms and anybody can learn those. Teacher, accountant, auto mechanic, regular non-medical folks, and you don't have to have an app or, you know, calculus or a slide rule or, you know, sine, cosine, tangent to get there. So where did you come up with the idea? I mean, when did it hit you? Was it a, was this discussion-based? Did you identify a specific community population-based need? Was it a, you know, a cloud that popped into your brain on a jog? How, how did you come up with the idea? I definitely want to make sure that I'm giving credit where credit is due. And so this was a, a collaborative effort and kind of a pandemic hobby. And it actually all started with Marcy Wilson. And she is a nurse and a stroke coordinator at Seton Medical Center here in Austin. And she's from Mexico originally. And she recognized a lot of her patients who are Spanish speaking, you know, didn't really know the symptoms of a stroke and that might have delayed their care. And so she saw this need for a Spanish mnemonic that can be pushed out, not just to EMS, but also to the lay public. And she teamed up with Dr. Paul Banerjee, who is the EMS medical director in Polk County, Florida. And, you know, they worked through a couple of iterations and they were, they were, they were working on a mnemonic called Rapido, which means fast. So direct translation of the fast into Spanish, but they weren't hitting those ideal stroke scale characteristics that we just mentioned. They couldn't get the letters to stand for what they mean. 
Uh, so for example, like the A in rápido, they were starting with like alteración de equilibrio, which the word that you need to focus on there is actually the last part, which is equilibrio. And so the letters weren't standing for what they meant. And, you know, Paul called me up and said, hey, we've been stuck on this for a while. Do you want to help us think through it? And so many iterations, many sticky notes later, we figured out that we could make the words in Spanish fit the mnemonic ahora, which still conveys that same sense of fast or like that we need to call 911 now because ahora means now in Spanish. Um, and we were able to make each letter stand for exactly what it meant. And that makes it much easier, especially for lay public to remember what the signs and symptoms actually are. And then we spent some time, uh, my real pandemic hobby was playing with Illustrator, and we spent a lot of time and thought into what the graphic might look like or the first graphic, because we do hope others will adopt and build their own graphics with this. But we came up with a person that looked like they were having each of these symptoms. So not only just relying on the words, but having some of those visual aids as well of a person who is dizzy and having trouble walking or person who's having facial droop. And that was really just one of the things that we were doing while we're all stuck at home. I mean, just, you know, excellent, obvious idea for outreach and really interesting how you go from, you know, Rapido to now, which again, same, same concept and are able to fit the, you know, fit the acronym better. And as someone who's tried to fancily name study titles and study designs here at MCHD and fail, <laughs> failed every single time. And as someone who watches some of these fancy titles and some of the, uh, some of the study titles that some of these folks come up with. They really do what you said not to do. In other words, they fudge around with where the actual words that mean something land in the device. And, you know, that's that's a stretch. And the important point is, is that no one's going to remember that. And unless the words represent the actual letter in the mnemonic, in in the device, people are just going to forget it. They're not going to, what's that A? I can't remember what that A is. Um, so that's, that's really the beauty of it. Are there any caveats or differences between, between the Aura scale and be fast? So there is actually one caveat and I think it's important and we added this. So it's in the face component of Aura Rostro. We added head as well to include the symptom of the worst headache of one's life. Unlike any other headache. I know in EMT school, like this was brought up a lot about, you know, it's either meningitis or stroke makes you which one it is if they have the worst headache of their life, but it seems to have fallen out of all of the lay mnemonic tools. And we felt like it was actually really important to include this symptom in this scale because we know that Hispanic or Latinx communities are at higher risk for hemorrhagic stroke. And often that worst headache is a symptom of hemorrhagic stroke. So we wanted to make sure that we included it and had it there just to keep it in mind in case a person is experiencing that symptom in particular. And that's that's a different subgroup. That's not going to, you know, they're not going to go for endovascular retrieval at this point, but they do need, you know, emergent you know, ICU care, oftentimes airway management, potential, you know, neurosurgical management, depending on, you know, the size and the uh, location of the hemorrhage. So that's definitely one that's time sensitive, time sensitive in a different, you know, fashion, a different manner than your classic Elvo, but warrants inclusion there, especially considering uh, the, the demographic breakdown of, of hemorrhagic stroke and subarachnoid hemorrhage, you know, non-traumatic uh, bleed. So 
treatments are improving now. We saw the same with when thrombectomy came out. We have centers that are specialized. And you know, before with hemorrhagic stroke, it may have been something that was had a more ominous outcome, but now treatments are getting better. And so getting the patient to the right care fast is really important. And EMS, you know, can play a big role in this. So we felt like including that was important. And especially since we're not always doing like subarachnoid hemorrhage scales, the Ottawa scale and things like that, this was a quick, easy way to build it in and just have that question available, or at least have it in our thought process in the back of our heads as we're looking at a patient. I couldn't agree more in using endovascular therapy as an example. You know, if you look at the evolution over the past 10 to 15 years, it's gone from not working to working just with technologic advances and, and, you know, procedural advances. So who knows where we'll be in five years or 10 years, you know, for the treatment of uh, non-traumatic subarachnoid hemorrhage. So having it there and built in removes the need for having to build that in at some point in five years when there's some new surgical technique or endovascular technique to treat subarachnoid hemorrhage, just like we treat ELVO now. Do we have any data on how tools like this can improve outcomes as far as from a community-based tool all the way to endovascular to leaving the hospital? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with stroke, you know, we know time is brain. So getting to the right care fast is definitely important. And I'll pose this as a question. So I'm curious, where do you think the biggest delays in getting to the right care actually happen? I'm going to I'm gonna probably make people mad here, but I, <laughs> I would assume probably I would assume in the ED. I'm going to blame myself first and be safe. <laughs> That's always a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. So actually it's it's not the healthcare system. There's a ton of evidence out there that the biggest delays happen at home. It's that delay that the patient experiences in waiting to seek medical attention. Oh, it's just a headache. Oh, yeah, it'll go away. Uh, I don't feel so good, but I'll just take a nap. So it's it's that recognition of stroke that can speed up the time. And so that's where something like FAST or BFAST or AORA become really important is convincing the patient to seek emergent care. And there are some studies looking at how well these, to- these types of tools improve stroke recognition, especially with FAST and the BFAST. So those have been widely pushed out, at least in the U.S. Now, the more alarming research for me that really, you know, put some emphasis behind this tool is that there was a study of stroke survivors who spoke Spanish and fewer than one in five people who have already had a stroke who spoke Spanish could actually name three signs of stroke. So even after having a stroke, the recognition components weren't there. And that's really important because people who've had a stroke are definitely at risk for another one. And this says, you know, if you went to the English speaking population and did the same survey, you'd probably get different results. And actually that study shows exactly that. Uh, The stroke recognition among English speakers was much higher than that among Spanish speakers. And so hopefully this kind of a tool can help us move the needle on stroke recognition from the public, which is often the point where most of that delay happens. And just to reiterate there, if if you didn't catch that, that's a pretty amazing uh, stat. So fewer than one in five Spanish speaking folks that suffered stroke know three stroke signs. So if the people that are actually having strokes don't know the stroke signs, then extrapolate that out. Their family members, their loved ones, their fellow community members, they surely don't either. So uh, knowing that the biggest delays come in recognition and you could overlay, you know, thankfully we're hopefully uh, Delta variant aside, uh, thankful for our vaccination status here in Montgomery County and across the, across the United States that the vaccines are widely available and wildly successful. But when you add in the COVID-19 pandemic to delays in seeking care from the public, uh, that's where these scales really 
really come into play and can really help because they help the public know when to, to truly seek emergent care. And if you, you know, nobody wants to go to the ER on most days anyways. Nobody wants to wait in line. Nobody wants to, you know, burden the system. People like to, you know, minimize and eh, it's just a headache, you know, eh, am I really weak? You know, uh, th those sort of things. So if you have a scale and you can say, wait a minute, I'm checking two of these boxes now and you have that baseline knowledge, you know when to seek emergent care and that, that can decrease that delay. So obviously, based on this, this has you know, significant potential for public health impact. Where do you see this work going in the future? What, what are y'all working on now? What's the, you know, as far as, uh, you know, publicizing, rollout, studying, um, you know, changing lanes, turning directions, what's, what's next on the list? Yeah, our hope is that Aorta is going to be adapted far and wide. So we're pushing dissemination and we really want it to be adapted for any Spanish speaking community in the US and internationally. Um, and we purposefully place this tool in the public domain so anyone can use it, adapt it, it's free. You know, if you wanna brand it, that's totally fine. Um, and we think that this has potential in a couple of different arenas. So one being obviously EMS use and outreach. EMS sits at this amazing, unique intersection, public safety, public health and healthcare. And I see a lot of potential where EMS can use, you know, aorta magnets and aorta face sheets and things like that to share at community events. So often there are church events or when you do CPR classes, you would be surprised how much impact one little magnet can have, right? I remember having the fast magnet on my fridge at home. And so I'm confident that my mother could identify a stroke symptom if she had to. And so I think that that's, that's one of the places where it can start. And I'm sure Montgomery County does a lot of these types of events too. So having the magnets or the handouts available in Spanish would be useful. Um, CPR classes, babysitting classes, uh, you know, car seats, all the things that we do from a community outreach standpoint, this j just makes obvious common sense. You know, I, I knew the poison control phone number before <laughs> I got to med school because I had poison control stickers and magnets right. on every fridge and every phone, you know, growing up because <laughs> I, I guess my mother was afraid that I was going to drink the uh, the bleach or the Tylex oh, under, under, that the, explains under, it. under the sink. So maybe that, ex <laughs> maybe that explains more, more than and we, we all knew Mr. Yuck, didn't we? Yeah. More than more we would like. I'm sure she had Ipecac. I know that's fallen out of favor, but I guess I'm old enough for that to have existed in our, <laughs> in our cabinets. So I, you know, we here at MCHD think this is, you know, obviously just a, a brilliant idea that, that fills a needed hole. We are uh, working behind the scenes right now, trying to come up with good ways to, to really implement this and to help spread the word and for every, anyone who's interested, you know, like, like friendly said, this is, you know, free and open and it will be linked in the show notes. So please have a look and share and spread and use and adapt, you know, to your community mm -hmm. for all you non MCHD listeners out there, take this and run with it because that's the goal. The goal is to improve, improve outcomes in a, in a patient population who, you know, this tool hasn't existed before. And so, this can really, you know, impact that that biggest time gap in seeking care for stroke. So um, anything you want to add on before we wrap up? No, I, I think that this has been a really great discussion and I very much appreciate the time and the ability to share this tool with others. So I hope that it'll help facilitate some communication and help with community outreach as well. 
Awesome. As always, thanks for joining us, Remley. Thanks for listening, everybody out there. If you have questions or concerns, thoughts on the stroke scale, thoughts on my Spanish speaking ability, please send us an email at podcast at mchd-tx.org. Please leave us a like wherever you listen to podcasts. Even if you don't really think we're five-star, leave us a five-star because it makes us feel good about ourselves. As always, thanks for listening. We'll talk to everybody again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.